666. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife, but it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on nightmare time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare Alley, a detour podcast from Nightmare on Film Street. I'm Kim. I'm John. And this week, we spoke to writer-director Brandon Cronenberg, who's releasing the crazy mindfuck of a film, Possessor, this weekend. Possessor hits select movie theaters and drive-ins this weekend, October 2nd. It stars Andrea Riseborough and Christopher Abbott uh, in a story about corporate espionage and just, like, fucking assassins from a near, like, five minutes in the in the future, right? Like, this shit is about to start happening. <laughs> Andrea Riseborough essentially possesses a person and then uses their body like a fucking maniacal puppeteer to carry out corporate assassinations, murder people, and just, like, ruin lives. And slip out undetected. Right? Oh, man. It's a real wild fucking story. Yeah, this movie is gross. It's crazy. In all the right ways. And we learned some really fun, fantastic things from Brandon Cronenberg, who revealed that the film is all practical, which was a nice surprise. Oh, yeah. All of the visual effects are done in camera, which is so fucking cool. Even the lighting. Like, there are some really crazy hallucinatory sequences that just look fucking amazing. And all of that in camera. None of the color grading was was done in post, except for, you know, obviously, like, small touch-ups and stuff. If you haven't seen the film yet, don't worry, we will not be spoiling the whole movie, so you can feel free to listen to this interview before you go see it, if you've already seen it. Hopefully you love it as much as we do, and this interview helps just feed that fire a little bit more. But before we send you to the interview, here is the trailer for Possessor Uncut. You have a very special nature. One we've worked hard together to unlock. results are normal. Anything you want to flag? No. No, I'm fine. Mom! Hi, darling. How was your trip? Dull. Extraordinarily dull. Our next contract's a big one. The target is the CEO of the largest operation in the U.S. You'll be binding to Colin Tate. We can't afford any mistakes on this one. Ready? What's with you today? What do you mean? I'm in place. Can we help you? Finish this. What are you doing? I can't pull the trigger. I need to know. I need to know what she's done to me. It's become a danger. Where 
Brandon, thank you so much for joining us on the show today to talk about your new film, Possessor. Oh, thank you for having me. We're really excited to talk to you about it. We have nothing but good things to say about this movie. It's so twisted and weird, and it's it's right up our alley. Uh, that's very kind of you, and uh, very calming at the start of an interview to know that <laughs> <laughs> you'll only hear good things. Yeah, and you know, I think most people are going to misconstrue this movie as like a standard body horror movie. Um, but it's definitely more of an identity horror movie that deals with like the, but we'll call it body horror of, of the mind, I guess. I, yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think that's really what it's about. There's this, you know, the kind of sci-fi thriller and, and the horror elements work with that main theme, but at its, at its core, it's about who we are. I think uh, that's, <laughs> that, that's at least where the, where the the genesis of the script was uh, and that was the the theme that i was interested in exploring initially and where did that uh where what was that original kernel of the idea that sort of inspired the rest of the screenplay uh i think i was on the press tour for antiviral which was my my first feature it's very strange when you're traveling with a film for the first time because you're kind of inventing this this public persona and performing yourself in a strange way and performing this kind of media self, which then runs off and has its own strange life without you online. So between that and a few other things, uh, I was going through a bit of a strange period, waking up in the mornings and, and sitting up uh, and think, feeling that I was sitting up into someone else's life and having to kind of scramble to construct some kind of character who could operate in that context, which you know that's a, a very particular version of that but i think essentially that's not a totally uncommon experience and so i wanted to uh write a script about a character who may or may not be an imposter in their own life and use that uh to talk about how we build characters and narratives just to to operate as people essentially that's really cool because it almost makes possessor kind of a spiritual sequel to antiviral and that antiviral is, is kind of about the obsession of celebrity and then possessor stems from your kind of first foray into some kind of notoriety and feeling that kind of identity pull of the second entity of, of being a filmmaker yeah it's a yeah that's funny it's a bit of a, it is a bit of an aftershock film that way yeah and i mean both of them they, they have their good characters and bad characters but I feel like the real big bad wolf, the real villain is like multi-million dollar corporations. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's, it's the world we live in. I mean, it's, it's very interesting because, you know, looking back at corporate history, uh, you had companies like the Dutch East India Company who had their own private militaries and, and I think ruled Indonesia for centuries and, uh, you know, some people would consider the Knights Templar to be the first multinational. <laughs> it's amazing. The history is amazing. I mean, they started as this Catholic military order, but they ended up managing this huge economy and, and having uh, creating a, a kind of early banking system. So part of my interest in this film, although this was very like tertiary interest, was that history of corporations, the idea of modern corporations and tech companies returning to this place where they have almost power on the level of states and and what that would look like if they started to venture into cold war territory with each other 
Yeah, I mean, we hear about corporate assassinations just already. Like we don't hear them. We don't hear about them in the in like the strange sci-fi way that it's taken place in your movie. But it's like corporations give people permission to just lose their humanity. I mean, yeah, there's a, such a long history of uh, sci-fi that deals with that. Obviously, I, I was thinking recently about Snow Crash. I haven't read Snow Crash for a long time, but this brilliant idea that there are, you know, neighborhoods that are owned by different companies I, I feel like now makes so much sense when you look at you know, tech campuses but that was decades ago yeah um, i remember hearing about disney owning a neighborhood and they're like oh yeah we're just today's christmas even though it's may and like i can't imagine what that does to like a child's mind growing up like thinking that they live in a fairy tale world yeah it must be very strange and, and in toronto there was a, a an interesting project that i think fell apart but google uh was trying to create a smart neighborhood in toronto that uh, for a number of years that was going to be a place with a lot of advanced technology. The idea was that you had all of this high-tech gear. What, what would it look like to design a smart neighborhood? But of course, uh, it's Google. I don't think Google are like more evil than any other major tech company or something, but because their their whole business is based around data mining, I mean, you could imagine the Gmail business model applied to your entire life. And it. I feel like that's sort of inevitable on, on a certain level. And <laughs> uh, would, would, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, no, which sort of that, that inspired some of the, the surveillance elements of the film. I mean, the Snowden leaks happened while I was writing, and so that was also part of it. But uh, this idea of the death of privacy through technology and, and some of the possession itself was, in a way, a kind of, I guess, metaphor for surveillance. Slightly less evil, there is a, a place called Vegandale in Toronto, which is just all, like, it's a whole block of just vegan food, which is, it's kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know about Vegandale. <laughs> we're just outside of Toronto. Yeah, we're in Ajax. Oh, you're in Ajax? Yeah. <laughs> you're in Ajax and you know about Vegandale? How is <laughs> <laughs> we're vegan also. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, me too. <laughs> so data mining, too, is, is something that comes up in your movie, and it, terrifies me that we're like maybe i don't know two years away from just having like our alexa or or google nest like actually spying on us and and we know about it and we're cool with it yeah the segment in the movie is actually like it's the funniest segment but it's seriously the darkest part of the movie <laughs> <laughs> well it's so close to what's our i mean again gmail as a model it's very there, there are good things about gmail but also the idea that you're sort of actively giving up uh, your privacy on a certain level in order to have this service. And, uh, you know, I was reading about uh, Siri and Alexa and how, you know, this isn't built into the service yet, but how they were activating, they, they sometimes will just activate, record 30 seconds of your life and then send it to contractors to, to determine whether it, the service is functioning properly. But because it activates at random, it was recording people having personal conversations, people at their doctor's uh, appointments, talking about their health, people in business meetings, people having sex. And it was just sending the, not even to Apple, but to sort of, or, or to Google, but to these sort of companies, contractors that uh, track their, their services and, and make sure they're functioning properly. So it's all already, ha I mean, it's already happening and it's like as bad as you think it, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's already bad. That's it's already of, bad. <laughs> that's kind of what's great too, but the timeline of the film, because there's this kind of dystopian present day in that like this, the technology itself 
could already exist because it's so private and intimate in the story of the film. So like this could be existing at a co- at a company up the street from you and you would never know. No, absolutely. And, and, and I mean, even the, the possession technology, it's obviously, I don't think that actually exists, but it is, rooted, <laughs> <laughs> it is rooted in actual neuroscience though. Some really interesting neuroscience uh, um, experiments that were done uh, in the 50s and 60s, for instance, I was reading about this one doctor, Jose Delgado, who is a Spanish doctor working out of the US, who was exploring brain implants and, and electrical stimulation of, of certain brain areas and was able to control this fairly alarming range of, of functions in in the subjects, including, I mean, motor functions, but also emotions. And also, to me, the most interesting thing was that depending on the place in the brain where the the implant would stimulate some of the subjects would perform a series of actions but then retrofit their own motivation onto those actions it's like they're so like uh, a patient would every time he pressed a button and it would stimulate this part of his brain the, the patient would get up and walk around a chair and then sit down and perform exactly the same series of motions but every time he did that he would insist that he had chosen to do it because of some reason, like he had heard a noise or he was looking for his shoes or something like that. So there's this function of the brain, which is totally fascinating, which is it sort of decides after the fact whether something came from inside and then ascribes the sense of it being your own self and your own will onto what you just did, but sort of after the fact. And and I feel like that's I mean, a fascinating science, but metaphorically pretty interesting, especially looking at, uh, say, you know, what we're dealing with in, with social media right now, how, uh, you know, foreign states influencing the U.S. elections and how people feel that they have these opinions, but they're actually generated externally, but they cling to them as though they're such an essential part of their identities. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc what's so special about hero Bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co Wow, that that really makes the possession in your movie even more terrifying because uh, that means that after, well, I guess uh, a lot of people a lot of people die in your movie, um, but you know, <laughs> um, you know, afterward they would they wouldn't say, oh my god, it was like I was under control by someone else. They would say, oh well, yeah, I, I did this. I wanted to do this. I killed these people for no reason. Yeah, no, exactly. There's a, a kind of and there's a little bit of that in the film where it's you know. Colin is sort of trying to look back at why he did things and having these memories and saying, oh yeah, I did it because I, 
I was just angry or I was trying to defend myself or, you know, trying to wrestle with his memories of his recent actions and, and uh, determining that he did them. Yeah, and that, that push and pull that you have between Colin and Voss, uh, played by Christopher Abbott and Andrea Riseborough, is is so good. And your visualization of their sort of like mental struggle is is incredible. Like, where did you, uh, like, how did you start to develop the visual language for explaining that fight? Uh, so, so it started very early on. I mean, it was an eight-year process getting the film made after wow. Antiviral. And um, on Antiviral, I met Kareem Hussein and, and some of my other close collaborators. Kareem's my cinematographer. Um, we all became close friends and actually Kareem lived down the street from me for a lot of that, that development period. So we really had a long time <laughs> to play around with uh, with visual ideas. Essentially, all the effects in the film are practical. All of those hallucination scenes are completely in camera practical effects. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the melting and stuff, that's just fantastic work by Dan Martin, uh, the lead effects artist on the film. But the camera effects and that aesthetic came through essentially years of experimentation with Kareem sort of now and then as the film was getting developed, we would get together and play with uh, video feedback and, and projection tricks and gels and coloring and lens flares and just uh, created a kind of bank of visual ideas that we wanted to use eventually for the future. Uh, and which we tried, we, we experimented with some short films and, uh, and, and some music videos just to try out different ideas in, in context. And uh, so when did uh, when did Andrea Riseborough and Christopher Abbott get involved in the process? Because their performances and what you're able to get out of them in this movie is incredible because you can see each of them in each other's in each other's faces, essentially. Right. I mean, it's kind of you to say uh, what I get out of them, but really (laughs) 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 they they made my job incredibly easy. They're both such brilliant actors. Um, You know, it was interesting because obviously they play the same character to a certain degree or, or there's a there's a certain amount of overlap and so going into it I thought that was going to be something very difficult and there were a couple of early discussions we had because I was trying to figure out what the process would be like what sort of formal process we would use to approach that would did they want to be on set for each other's scenes and watch each other did you know uh, did one of them want to take the lead and the other one mimic that actor and and so on there's a bit of a rabbit hole that we could go down initially just sort of theoretically approaching it um in practice it was a very easy and organic process i think just because they're so good and and so great to work with and so full of ideas and you know i had my own specific thoughts about how the the, how to demonstrate that the character existed across both performances and 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 how that would work Uh, they had their own ideas that they brought at that stage during shooting. I understand they spoke a lot behind the scenes and, and checked in with each other about, you know, what Voss would do in a particular situation to, to kind of keep that coherent between the two of them. And, uh, and then obviously on a sort of scene by scene basis, we just worked as we were shooting and, and blocking and so on. So for me, it was actually very easy. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how much of it is what I got out of them versus, you know, just the fact that they were great, but it felt like a very organic process and collaborative process that we, uh, we kind of built out together. That's great. I mean, and you really, you really put them through hell in some scenes, or at least you put their characters through hell. In some <laughs> <laughs> I hope I didn't put them through hell, but I mean, there was a lot of fake blood involved and I know that's not comfortable for actors to be in like wet, war- bloody wardrobe for a long time. So I, I, 
apologize. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I apologize to my actors, but yeah, like it's and the the level of violence in your movie is is shocking and surprising because it's more I would call it body destruction uh, in in, <laughs> right. in some certain scenes, <laughs> and I, that's all done practical as well, correct? Yeah, it's all it's all practical. I mean, there was a, a very small amount of cleanup for the you know, bloodline removal and, and a little bit of touch up here and there. But we, again, it was just Dan Martin is so good. And in particular, his fake heads are so completely exquisite. It's, it's hard to make a convincing fake head, but there's some elements in those, uh, for instance, the melting scenes where people, or, or, or some of the, you know, the knife entering into the neck and, and that kind of thing where uh, people have assumed it was CGI somehow, but it was actually just Dan being very good at, at designing those effects and executing them with his team that that knife entering the neck thing too Ooh. is something that i just <laughs> one it looks great but it's something that i i can't wait for people to see the movie because there's something so specific about it that i want to talk to people about in that how you edit it and where it comes and it's it's just that brilliant thing that you see like guys like uh like nicholas rogue doing and don't look now where you're seeing two images against each other but it's the third one that you see in your head that isn't on screen that's like the real <laughs> context of the scene how do you do that man that's like magic <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very kind of you yeah i don't know i mean it's just the, it's the great thing about filmmaking honestly is it, it's an art form that essentially plays with how the human brain works i think even just something as simple as constructing a fictional space out of different real world spaces is so gratifying somehow you shoot someone in one location you shoot another person in another location you edit it and it becomes one location with two people in it and I, I, it's just i mean to a certain extent we learn the language of film as we're watching film and and so that has obviously developed but there's something so great about the fact that putting two images together just generates this effect in the mind you know that sews up this world and, and creates this world and, and so i think it's yeah a film that plays with some very basic psychological functions in an exciting way <laughs> Oh yeah, and this is this is also the uncut version. Like, what's the censored version of this movie look like? So the the uncut version, it's the ver it's the full, complete. Essentially, in the U.S., the unrated director's cut. In Canada, it's just 18a, so it doesn't it doesn't have that that same problem. But there is a, a cut version that was cut to get an R rating in the in the states. So fortunately, I've had a huge amount of support uh, from my distributors. I mean, Elevation in Canada and, and Neon and, and Wellgo in the U.S. And we've been putting out the uncut version as the lead version, but there are just some platforms that aren't going to play an unrated film in general, and, and especially one with some of that content. So there's a, a sort of a slightly toned down, I would argue, less good and less fun version. But uh, but you know, it's it's fun. It's a necessary evil, and I'm just happy that uh, I had the support to put out the the full film. Less less good and less fun because there's less violence or because there's less sex. There's less of both. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll okay. be honest with you. It's just less gratuitous in general. <laughs> it's less gratuitous in general, which, you know, I mean, I guess your mileage may vary, but. <laughs> All right. So don't go see the less fun version. See the uncut version. <laughs> if you can, I would certainly, I would certainly promote the uncut version, but that's obviously what I'm going to do. Uh, before we let you go, we like to ask everybody uh, if they could, we like to ask everybody what their dream double feature is at the drive-in. If you could program one screen for the night what would you play i have no idea i have no good <laughs> no good answer for that looking at my shelf right now i am going to say uh fail safe and dr strangelove would be a good oh man i i did that double bill earlier this year 
<laughs> oh well, there you go. Like, We're on the same page. That was, uh, and it was, it was a first time watch for Failsafe. It's like one of the most stressful things I've ever watched, especially during quarantine. Yeah, it's very, very stressful. <laughs> yeah, just the end of the world all over the place. Actually, funny note: Possessor is actually playing at our local drive-in this weekend, and oh, I'm really? I'm kind of excited to see it just because there's a kids movie playing on the screen next to it, and it's just like <laughs> how what if like the other cars look over? It's gonna be it's gonna be fun fun to just see it in a public space. <laughs> For sure, I mean, it, yeah, it's it's funny the politics of drive-ins and and what can play where and how people feel about that. It's it's its own completely other world. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us, man. We really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. It was a lot of fun for me, too. Possessor hit select theaters and drive-ins on October 2nd this weekend, so go check out the film and let us know what you thought. We loved it. We'd love to tweet with you about it. You can hit us up at NOFS Podcast on Twitter. We're on Instagram, instagram.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. If you want more bonus content and to support Nightmare on Film Street, head to patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. But until next time, I'm John. Um, Kim? Stay, Stay creepy. creepy. And happy Halloween, right? Yeah, October, October 1st. What? We fucking made it, we everybody. Did it. We're here. <laughs> like cries into pumpkin patch. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> I've never been so desperate for pumpkins in my life. It appears you made it out alive. But we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.